Jeff Andrew of Time Out says that this film is beautifully shot and designed, but in a cloyingly self-conscious manner, the film lacks narrative drive. TV Guide calls it sumptuous, grandly scaled, and often ludicrous. And Tom Shales of the Washington Post says this movie may turn out to be legendary, but not in the way that filmmakers intended. On this episode of Ruined Childhoods, we determine the fate of legend. Which one will it be? Greetings, Starfighters, and welcome to our third installment of Rune Childhood's Tom Cruise Month edition. We're Happy cruising Tom through Cruise October. Month, Dan. What? Happy Tom Cruise Month. It's been, how has your Tom Cruise Month been? What have you been doing with the family to celebrate? <laughs> uh, we had cake tonight, actually, to... You had cake. Well, was that for Tom Cruise night, Tom Cruise month, or for uh, your birthday celebration? Um, fifty-fifty. It was uh, yes. So it is. I guess uh, if you're listening to the this, day this comes out on release day, yes, I um, yep, I I hit forty-two. So um, yeah, we had some cake. We had a delicious uh, raclette dinner. And okay. uh, for those who don't know what raclette is, imagine like a, almost like a combination of fondue and hibachi. Okay. So just imagine like you've just got this like a grill on the table and then there's these little plates that you can stick under the grill and you can melt cheese on things or not or whatever you want to do. You can mm-hmm. make it with, you could make whatever you want on it. It, it. It's it's a great meal because it can suit a wide variety of dietary restrictions. So got it. Yeah. So um, and and then we had some cake, and and here we are. Yeah. And now and, you're talking about legend. And we're talking about legend. That's right. 1985. But first, there's a few things we need to talk about. Oh, are there? There's one thing that is not so much. Uh, related to the theme of the podcast, but it's hosts, and that's us, by the way. And uh, hi, I'm Dan. We we we've we did not mention this the past few episodes, but there was something that came up uh, <laughs> a few weeks ago when we were together. I know, lady, ladies and germs. Dan and I have a nickname that was given to us by our 100 year old grandmother. We are the yeah, boys from nowhere. The boys from nowhere. Yeah. Shout out uh, to I can't Gigi. Believe it's, I can't believe it's taken us this long to bring this up. But uh, yeah, uh, she was making an announcement uh, to everybody. And she and she was saying that, you know, everybody else there was, you know, traveled not very far to get there. Maybe as far as Long uh, Island, from Pennsylvania to Pennsylvania. New Jersey, Long Island, maybe. And uh, and we were coming from the Pacific Northwest. But our 100-year-old grandmother has never heard of Seattle or Portland before. So when she was saying the boys came here all the way from, couldn't think of the names of the cities we're from or even the region, she said, nowhere. So that's where we're from. But she was pretty quick with that. And in her defense, she has been to Seattle, though not in quite some time. 
So I don't know. Years. She, I don't know. I mean, I was she out in? No, I don't. I don't think she's been to Portland. I don't know. Nope. We'll have to not as far as I know. Have to check in on uh, that. Yeah. Yeah. She also uh, asked our brother Scott if he was real to his <laughs> face. Because for anybody who heard uh, the episode with Scott, um, what what did we do, what episode did we do with him? The Last Starfighter. The Last Starfighter. Yeah. Uh, which he doesn't seem to remember ever watching, even though he watched it five thousand times. Yes. Uh, yeah. She questioned his reality and his his own existence. She's not uh, which the was... first though. <laughs> She's not the first. And by the way, I, John, I don't know if if you saw this the other day, but speaking of Scott, so um, I'm scrolling through on my you know Instagram feed, and uh, you know this is from uh, a feed that I use pretty much for school. So I follow the New York Times. I don't follow Scott on that one. I follow Scott on my my personal <laughs> Instagram, uh-huh. and. Um, I, we also follow him at Rune Childhood's Pod on Instagram. But then I'm scrolling through my teacher Instagram and I see on New York Times, that's the lead photo is, and I'll, I'll have to post this um, on our feed. But we'll regram it. It's, we'll regram it. It's Scott staring down a slice of pizza, which is, I mean, nothing unusual, but it was very much out of context and unexpected. So <laughs> I, I suppose I questioned his reality at yeah. a certain moment. I was like, wait a second, what's happening? The timelines are crossing. Um, so uh, also we got, a, we got an email from our buddy, French Fry Phil. Yes, I was responding to it earlier. Oh, yeah. So uh, he wanted to write to us about the curious incident of the dog in the nighttime. Now, Dan, remind me exactly how that came up. A few episodes so back? It, it came up in the context of Rain Man, because, if right. I may, um, Mark Haddon's amazing novel, The Curious Incident of the Dog in the Nighttime, uh, which has also since been adapted into a play, which I've heard is is quite good. It is told from the perspective of a, I, I want to say he's maybe a 12, 12-year-old boy with autism. It, it's been several years since I've read it, but it is the book is narrated from his perspective and you i I mean i don't know i i don't know who really knows you know what life is like from the perspective of someone with autism other than someone with autism but i felt like this book just based on everything that i had learned about autism and the behaviors and and the spectrum um, it, it, the book just, it made sense. And okay. I felt like just considering and thinking of the kids who I have known who've had autism, it matched, there were so many of, you know, there were so many overlaps or similarities, but I was now seeing them from the perspective of that person rather than my own. And I remember really being like engaged by this style of writing. And I really felt like, man, this guy, I, I I don't know. I'm, I'm not a doctor. Um, but 
I feel like this guy really did his homework. And so Phil was um, bringing that up in the context of Rain Man and, you know, maybe not as a remake of Rain Man, but a more contemporary story about autism uh, and, you know, about this child, about a child with, with autism. And he's also, he's dealing with, with a lot of complex issues. I I don't really want to say much because I think people should read it. And, um, yeah, I really don't want to say much more about the plot. Right. Well, French fry Phil wanted to just say he read it when it came out and really enjoyed it and says, uh, I remember Brad Pitt obtaining slash optioning some film rights around that time. It's been a while, but it could happen one day. So we'll just yeah. uh, wait patiently. Um, yeah. So, I mean, as you're talking about that, it made me think of the movie, which I believe was adapted from a book, Extremely Loud and Incredibly Close, um, mm-hmm. which, I, I mean, I didn't think it was Jonathan Safran Foer wrote the oh, novel. It, so, yeah, that's right. So um, I definitely watched it with a lot of appreciation for how uh, the character, you know, depicted having... Um, it, well, experiencing autism. So, oh, right. The the I believe uh, Tom Hanks plays the father. Yes, and he, yeah. the son has Aspergers. I think. I, Is that I, correct? I believe it. I believe it's yeah. Aspergers. Yeah. I mean, yeah. So neither here nor there, really. But um, and then also, you know, parent Parenthood, the 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 series, the television mm-hmm. series, um, with the character of of Max who mm-hmm. early on in 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 season 1 is diagnosed with or I don't know if diagnosed with but um you know is identified as having Asperger's and I f- really felt like that storyline and the arc of that storyline through that series was one of the strongest and mm-hmm. um you know I I mean even if like that's not your thing cuz it's like that's not my thing I don't watch this is us or anything but parenthood the the series which I know we'll discuss in in further depth in the future when we discuss the movie um right worth checking out absolutely yeah yeah so let's uh, see is I, I, was legend worth up? checking out i don't know do you have any well, news well, 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 before we get to <laughs> oh. that before we get to that there's just two quick things um so for quite a while there's been talks of a live action remake of pinocchio and now uh, they there's finally a director who is uh, being tied to it, and it's is it uh, not Robert Benini. Who is it? Robert Zemeckis. Ro- yeah, yeah. <laughs> and by the way, when I said uh, a director has been tied to it, that wasn't a I have no strings Pinocchio marionette reference. Oh, but um, it's it, oh, John. But as soon as I said it, I was like, what? you should have taken credit for it. <laughs> Yeah, well, I you know it just it just kind of happened that way. It was just in the moment. I was and, about to uh, give and you here we are, for it. and we're anyway. living we're living in that now. So yeah, that. Robert Zemeckis, which so it's sure. going to be like motion capture. Is it going to be like Polar Expressy? Do we think or I don't know. Like just the part of Pinocchio will be, and like it'll be Tom Hanks and or Tom well, Hanks will I be mean, Geppetto. That's I mean the thing with Robert Zemeckis is like it's hard to say exactly what kind of Robert Zemeckis movie you're going to be getting. Which, which Zemeckis is going to show up? Are we talking like, we're not talking this could be Wash Zemeckis. Well, this could be like a Welcome to Marwin Zemeckis, which is definitely <laughs> very similar in the theme, you know, 
having to do with uh, toys. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, are, you know, it, or you... He could go full Beowulf Zemeckis. Oh, right. I forgot he did Beowulf. He I did saw Beowulf. that in the theater. Weird. Did you? I did. We'll have to talk I about that I don't remember why. Wow. Okay. Uh, and then, uh, well, there's nothing to talk about. I don't know why it happened. <laughs> it, it was why am I here? The other thing that I wanted to mention, and this is only this is only because this movie has come into my life recently in a very major way. Um, but I have a toddler. She is two. She, she's adorable. She, she's adorable. She enjoys the following television shows. Uh, very much so the Wiggles. Ready, Steady, Wiggle is their oh, show. Yeah. That she likes. Fruit um, salad, baby. Daniel Tiger's Neighborhood. She'll do Sesame Street sometimes, sometimes Mr. Rogers. But there's one movie that she likes to watch over and over and over again. Peter Rabbit. The James Corden, Domhnall Gleeson, Rose Byrne. Was that? Oh, so live at, Okay. It's like the, the, the live action CG combo uh, that Rabbit. came out a few years ago. Okay. Yeah. Um, it's actually really, really good. It's really, really good. Okay. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it's really good. And they just released a trailer for Peter Rabbit 2. And, uh, very excited that the story is continuing. Peter Rabbiter. Peter's Rabbit. Plural. Mm. No. No, Uh, like Peter's Friends. (laughs) It's a sequel to (laughs) Peter's Friends, the Kenneth Branagh ensemble dramedy. Of course, everybody remembers that movie. Right. Everyone remembers Peter's <laughs> Friends. I didn't remember it until just a moment ago when you said Peter's um, Rabbit. <laughs> so anyway, um, moving on to Legend. Legend. Yes. So, John, I have to ask you, before we get into this, which version of Legend did you um did you cuz we both watched it this past week did you watch the director's cut or the theatrical release i believe i watched the theatrical release basically how long was it uh it was like an hour and a half so you watched okay so interesting so john watched the theatrical release my the, my library had the director's cut oh they did so we are going to be I feel like we're going to be talking about a few things that are going to be a little surprising to both of us. Well, hold on. Let me see. Well, you know what? Mine. Oh, wait. How much singing was there? How much singing was there in yours? I don't. Oh, there was a lot of singing. Oh, so maybe you watched the director's cut. Okay. You know what? I'm looking at it and it's it's like an hour 53. Let's see. Until it gets to the credits, it's about an hour 50. Yeah. So maybe maybe I did watch watch the the director's director's Okay. You, okay. So false alarm. We both watched the director's cut. We both watched the <laughs> oh. with with the Jerry Goldsmith score, not the Tangerine Dream score. Yeah. See, now I feel like I did it wrong. I feel like I should have watched the theatrical release. Well, save it, myself some time. It depends on who you ask, and like I know, I as I was reading through the IMDb trivia, as I always do, like Tom Cruise prefers. The director's cut, Ridley Scott, of, I mean, the director, of course, prefers mm-hmm. the director's cut. But apparently, like, there's a lot more depth in the director's cut. And a lot of what was 
cut out for the theatrical version just kind of made it a more simplistic fairy tale and less of a like a moral parable which i really which is barely i i didn't i didn't even get that okay so maybe all right i'm coming at this from the uh you know english teacher perspective so i've just finished teaching a unit on symbolism okay and in the opening monologue that Tim Curry has uh, Tim Curry, who, by the way, was in Rocky Horror Picture Show with Susan Sarandon, who was, was in Lorenzo's That was Oil. mine. That I, was mine. I, I thought <laughs> it might be John. And I was like, damn it. There's a window. There's an opening. I need to take it. <laughs> I mean, that was how could you go with anything else? Well, I mean, there's a second. Do you have a. Do you have a no, backup? that was my that was my one. What did what else? So your backup could be that uh, Tom Cruise appeared in both Days of Thunder and The Firm with Margot Martindale, who is in Lorenzo's oh, Oil. That's right. So actually, so like I was watching Days of Thunder, and it was so funny because I was like, "Wait a second, what the hell? Like that's Margot Martindale just keeping time when Tom Cruise shows up on his motorcycle and rides." Um, you know, like test drives the car. Right. I, I, I did watch that recently and I only stayed awake for probably that amount of time. And I was like, Oh, Margot Martindale. And then immediately cocked yeah. out. I hope at least you thought, Oh, Margot Martindale from Lorenzo's oil. Uh, my, my mind was not there. I was very tired. Oh, so, boy. okay. So you're talking about the opening monologue from Tim Curry. Yeah. So, and he's talking about like, it, cause like, I spent at least, you know, I spent at least a week talking about literary symbols and like my students made these posters and it's all like, what does darkness represent? What does light represent? What does all this represent? What is this? What does this color represent? And as he's going through the monologue about how like as long as sunlight touches the earth, you know, darkness will have to, you know, stay, remain in hiding. And I just, I was listening to that monologue and I was, I, it just all hit me. I was like, ah, there's so many, he's talking about so much and morals and like, there has to be, there's so much of the, like, there's, there has to be evil because good needs evil to coexist. It's basically like in the South Park movie when, Satan sings his song. Yeah. Without evil, there could be no good. So it must be good to be evil sometimes to quote Satan in the South Park movie. Man, now I've got to decide if I'm going to use that song to end the episode or Gump by Weird Al. It is a, I mean, you might have to do one of those like Pulp Fiction radio station switches and just go. Oh, good call. Yeah. All right. 25th anniversary of Pulp Fiction, by the way. I don't know that I I doubt that that's one we're ever going to focus an episode on, but that's one of my favorite so. movies. Anyway, um, so back back to Legend. Yeah, whole lot of symbols, uh, in Tim Curry's opening monologue. See, and- I feel like this movie wanted to be all about the symbolism. It wanted to be a much heavier movie, and I'm sure that in iterations of the script it had all of those things in a more full complete way well it's it's just but, that the but tone i know this is so i know the script went through a thousand rewrites so 
I'm sure things just got watered down to the point where even in the director's cut, you know, it's still a lot of missing pieces. Well, and it just, it just feels like, I mean, because then after this, you know, whole speech about, you know, darkness and, and how there are two creatures that they're, horns reach to heaven and they it's basically about like these two unicorns that ensure that the sun still rises on yeah. the the planet wherever they are um which i have theories by the way um and, okay and it's basically like go out and kill the unicorns so right. and he sends like these goblins out to kill the unicorns so um, and then next thing you know, Mia Sarah is prancing through the forest singing. Right. That god-awful song. Oh, my goodness. And can we talk about how much of a bitch that character is? Well, yeah, she's definitely entitled. Um, entitled. So basically, I'm sorry, I got to set this up first, because okay, if you're not ahead. listening to this, you're thinking like, my God, these guys are assholes, but no. So she, so like, she's kind of got this thing going on with Tom Cruise. Who's kind of like, um, you know, this, uh, he's very, he's good. He's, and this is, I, I was curious to know if you felt this way or not, but as I was watching this movie, I was like, Tom Cruise is in this and Tom Cruise is fine in this, but I am not thinking of this as a Tom Cruise movie. And I no. also would probably prefer someone other, like it kind of is just a little bit distracting that it is Tom Cruise. Yeah. I mean, I know it's still early in his career and this is only like one of his first bigger movies, but like he's been in, you know, he's led major movies before this it it's, seems like it's a little beneath him it's that well it's not that it's been i, I don't want to say it's beneath him it's that tom cruise is incongruous with fantasy like the further the closest tom cruise should get to fantasy is the shit he pulls off in the mission impossible movies like that i i mean what else has he done like a War of the Worlds, which is sci fiction, science fiction, yeah. and I guess like I don't I know, Vanilla Sky, terrible. I think is a little but, border like borderline-y. But it's a psycholo- it's like a psychological yeah. drama, and it it's still he works in that. But like when I think of uh, the great Tom Cruise performances, they're either believable fictional characters, like in Magnolia. Jerry right. Maguire, or they are real people like, you know, playing Ron Kovic in Born on the Fourth mm-hmm. of July. When I think of, you know, and then, you know, or like, you know, the firm, you know, the things he does, like, you know, yeah. like that type of thing. And it, it, no, this I, is, yeah, is just, only like true fantasy. Is role. It, yeah, I'm, I'm in my, I'm, I'm just kind of brainstorming. I'm I'm just trying to think if it, like what else he would have. I mean, interview interview with the vampire. Interview with the vampire, which by the way, I did not think he. That was another movie where I felt he did not fit. I mean, the last time I saw it, which was quite a while ago, I didn't mind him in it. No, I'm um, speaking of Brad Pitt. 
I mean, he was great in it. Oh, Brad Pitt was excellent. You know who's great in that movie is Kirsten Dunst. She's fantastic. Yes. Um, but yeah, Interview with the Vampire, I always felt like Tom Cruise, it was like, I, I, you are doing your best, man. Like, and Fantasy's I not know his why thing. you're there. Yeah. yeah. Fantasy's not his thing. He, yeah, it's, it's incongruous. But back to the Miyasara character who, you know, we buy her much more in this, in this universe. But he brings, yeah. so she's, she's the, this fairy princess and she's got this thing going, like this flirty thing going on with Jack, the character played by Tom Cruise. And, and I just want to uh, quickly mention before we diverge away from Tom Cruise too much, but the character of Jack is kind of like raised in the woods. Like he kind of walks on all fours. He never is walking upright. Uh, you know, he's just wearing like tattered rags, but he's human, he's kind which of like is not a Peter Panish type character. Yeah, but but there's nothing magical about him. There's nothing magical well, about him. I think he can hold his breath for a pretty long time. Oh, that's impressive. Yeah. Dude can dive. Um, yeah, and water pressure doesn't seem to really, you know, affect no. him. But hey, all for love, right? Um, so. Yeah, he's, but I feel like, I felt like the thing with his character is like, he is goodness. Like he was there to represent goodness. Like he's pure. He can go and watch the unicorns play. And that's the thing is like, he says, you know, he he and Lily kind of meet up and he's like, I want to show you something. And she is some sort of princess. She's a fairy princess. Yeah, she's, they don't, I I thought at some point they would introduce her father, like you would see the fairy king. No, you only ever really see kind of her home's caretaker, you know, like the housekeeper pretty much. Uh, Yeah. Yeah, I don't, but is she even the housekeeper or is she just like the poor lady that Lily goes to visit when Lily is like... Oh, hmm, the grass is so much greener. Yeah. She's like, oh, it sucks being a princess. I wish I could live a humble life like you. And yeah, Uh, I didn't know what the relationship really was there. That's, yeah, they'd never go into that. And that was one of my problems with this is like, you, you don't know, we don't know enough going into this. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and it's it's just, it's it's so bizarre that it starts, like, in hell. And you don't see Tim Curry's character yet, who, by the way, is right. Hellboy without the horns chopped off. <laughs> Essentially, so yeah, he plays the Lord of Darkness, and the reveal of how he looks doesn't come until way late in the movie. and In the director's cut. Oh, does I'm he show sure up in earlier? the theatrical cut, yes, he shows up early. Oh, okay. Because, I, I mean, you have to say, like, it's really astonishing the way that they made him look. Well, and the fact that he was still able to actually act with all of that on oh, yeah. him. I mean, he's got so much prosthetic on him. Yeah. And Tim Curry is, I, I think he it was voted, um, I forget, like, who voted this, but... Um, Best best performance in a bad movie for 1985. Yeah, and I mean, I'm trying to remember what else, what other bad movies there were in 85. You could probably rattle off a few. Oh, but... I, no, 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 not 85. 
sorry, best performance in a bad movie of all time by Entertainment Week. Of all time. <laughs> I mean, yeah, his performance is pretty astonishing. Um, his his presence is just really impressive. Though, um, though it was, I always, I felt like, I remember when I initially, when I originally saw this, I don't remember exactly when, I think it was like a, oh, I taped it off HBO type thing. I feel like and, we've heard that before. Yeah, yeah. No, it's it's one of those. It's, oh, that's on. I've never seen that. Oh, let's see. And I remember, oh, it was, I think it was during, so after I saw Clue for the first time, mm-hmm. which was probably, because that was a tape it off HBO movie. And I was like, man, Tim Curry is amazing. I got to see yep. other things that he's in. And... I, I saw I think Legend might have been like the first one that I saw after that because Rocky Horror Picture Show was not yet on VHS. Oh, right. Yeah. Uh I think that was ninety one that Rocky Horror was Picture it really show. that long, huh? So I think it yeah, I mean I yeah, because I remember like I was doing theater, it was my freshman year in high school, and like of course, like the theater kids got a copy of Rocky right. Picture Show. That was the first time I saw it. it. Was like at a cast party for Wait Until Dark. Makes sense. So there you go. Yeah. Um, so anyway, yeah. Back to Legend. Tom Cruise, Jack. He takes Princess Lily to go and watch the unicorns, and he's like, he tells her, he's like, I'm taking you be here because I trust you, and he's like, here's like the one thing you can't do is like really interact with them. Like you, yeah. you need to give them space. So what's the one thing she goes to do? And he's like, no, don't do it. Don't do it. And she's just like, <laughs> and she like, yeah, she goes out and sings to them. She's extremely entitled uh, and doesn't, but she doesn't understand that there are consequences for breaking rules. Yeah. She finds and out boy, enough. oh boy, does she learn her lesson? Yeah. So, um, <laughs> And so what ends up happening is uh, the unicorns kind of go crazy and run about. Meanwhile, one of the disciples or a few of the disciples of the Lord of Darkness are kind of watching and they end up getting the unicorn with a poison blow dart. And uh, one of their directives was to uh, chop the horns off and bring them back. And the horns have like magical powers. So... One of them gets, you know, the main one gets, I forget what his name was, but he gets kind of like mad with power and, uh, and what he could do with the, uh, the unicorn horn. Well, and so, and by the way, so man, bad luck that the one day Jack is like, Hey, I'm going to take Lily to see the unicorns is the one day goblins are out hunting unicorns. Yeah, totally. Um, and they were clearly told get both horns. Yeah. They probably could have. Yeah, I think so too. They That's one of the things I was wondering. Yeah. yeah. Like what ha- like and they don't like it doesn't come up until they go back and Tim Curry's like, uh, so what about the other horn? And they're like, say what? <laughs> That's exactly how it went down. That is say what? <laughs> yeah. Exactly what happens. Um <laughs> So, John, um, 
<laughs> Sorry, I'm looking at my notes. And it just kind of interested me that Ridley Scott... I I, I should double check and see, but I, I don't know that he did another film between this between Blade Runner and this movie and really I was like what's with the unicorns early 80s yeah. Ridley Scott and unicorns um so you mentioned Gump earlier do you want to uh elaborate a little bit on so who Gump, is? Gump who is accompanied by I don't remember the characters names but one of them is played by Billy Barty and he goes by Screwball in this movie but I'm convinced Screwball. he's Gwildor Sr., which is why I'm convinced that this takes place in Endor. Eternia. I think Eternia. It's in, I think it's in the Masters of the Universe universe. I was thinking of because um, Billy Barty, didn't he also do one of the not the Star Wars movies, but it wasn't he in like the Ewok show or something like that? Are you thinking of Warwick Davis? Warwick Davis. No. Was, no. I oh, know well, he Bill- was Oh, so Billy Barty might have been in one of the Ewok movies, like the Ewok Yeah, I think Adventure. so. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he was in he was in Willow, but his, so his voice oh, in this. It's Gwildor. It's Gwildor. His makeup is like. The ears. Older well, Gwildor. I, I was looking up information about the, the makeup artists and, you know, designers and things like that to see if any of them had been the same people from. Masters of the Universe or The Witches. Okay, and I'm glad you checked. None of which are true. What's that? No, I'm glad you checked because I was like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah The Witches. I yeah, because these goblins look so much like The Witches. They really and do. I couldn't find any parallels. Had kind of a Dark Crystal vibe too, but not exactly yeah. that. Right. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, Gump is this magical nymph person. Yeah, I I guess he's kind of like is he like kind of a protector of the woods? Is that I his... think so. He, he uh he wields a bow and arrow and uh he's kind like of just puck. like this it's like puck from Midsummer yeah, Night's Dream. Yeah, just this like intelligent uh I don't know, little guy who's little, there to help. Little guy with kind of a creepy old lady voice. Well, he was overdubbed by the same person who was the main, like, goblin. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I I think I I saw that, yeah. Yeah, so, uh, I mean, he's just there to help Jack. So, uh, okay, we forgot to mention that the, um, that Mia Sarah's character, what's her name? Lily. Lily, that's right. So Lily gets kidnapped and brought to the Lord Lord of Darkness, and... It's Jack's mission. And this all happens while he is diving for her ring because she was like, whoever finds this ring will be the one I marry. So that's when he dives into like yeah, she the throws it uh, off a bottomless. Cliff. Yeah. And he dives after it. It was the weirdest thing. She throws thing. it off a cliff. So, uh, yes, that's when the unicorn horn gets chopped off. Most of the uh, the world gets turned to ice. And uh, she is then captured by the disciples of the Lord of Darkness and brought back. And um, it's then Jack's goal to go find her. And uh, with the help of of Gump and Screwball, the other one, and Blix, I want to say. Hans Blix? 
Like, Blix is the the little light the little light oh, nymph. I thought that was fairy. Una. Isn't that Una? Una? Una. Maybe I'm mixing them up. Una Gata Devita? No. I think it's <laughs> oh no Una. I'm pretty sure it's it's Una. Hold Whatever. On. The the fairy. So the fairy who is in love with Jack and like will only oh, reveal yeah. her true self to him, and then once she is out in the open, it's like, well, here I am. What are you going to do? Yeah. Uh, yeah. So Weird. anyway, it's complicated. It's not Blix, worth going into the whole thing. Blix is like one of the... Is, the, is that one of the goblins? Like the red... No, Blix is one, like one of the... I don't know. Like with Billy Barty. Billy Barty is Screwball. And then there's Broken mm-hmm. Brown, Brown Tom... And then Blix is the one with kind of like the red hair. I think the one who gets who gets killed, whose like brain explodes. Oh yeah, this movie gets uh-huh. weirdly like gory. Well, it makes points. sense that I was watching the director's cut because there was one moment when they they fall into the like prison cells and like yeah. they see the one guy get uh, get carried away, and there's like the thug guy like stabbing, yeah, somebody. Yeah, and, and it's I was like, like really? this is PG? Yeah, I know. I, yeah. I, no, the director's cut is not PG. Well, I didn't realize I was watching the director's cut. Yeah, no, I, I definitely double-checked that. Because, um, and then they're like, and then, like, their brother, they find, like, their brother's already there in prison. And there's this whole right. backstory about the brother that they're just like, hey, whatever, it's cool. And he he's like, oh, hey, sorry I was a dick like 20 years ago. Yeah. And they were like, it's cool, it's all good. And then, like, the, the big, like, Master Blaster from the, like, Mad Max movies comes and takes, yeah. <laughs> um, like, takes the, the brother Bl- and they, like... Blaster. They, blaster, yes, Blaster, right. Yeah, They're Master, not, of not, course, is... Right. Yeah. Um, and... and like and and then they're they're like oh don't worry about him he'll be fine and like they bake him into a pie, right? A poorly constructed pie. It's really just like a crust on top of a person. It is. Yeah. There's no craft whatsoever put into this pie. It yeah. Is, yeah. Well, I don't think the I because who are they making it for? Like the Lord of Darkness. I imagine so. Yeah. I don't think he really cares though. He sets up a nice banquet, doesn't he? His place is pretty dope. When he tries to seduce and, um, like... After Lily break, goes goth. Lily? Yeah, after yeah. Lily goes goth. After she, she goes embraces goth. the darkness. Yeah. Um, she, like, it was like a prototype for the Maleficent movies. Pretty much. Yeah, she, like, there's this figure that she dances with, and then oh, afterwards yeah. she becomes that. It was really, really trippy. Yeah, it was really. I mean, one thing I will say for this movie is visually, it is totally pretty yeah, incredible. I mean, I felt like a lot of times it was a little too closed in. Like now, you can get away with a lot more digitally than you could back then, where you have to do like practical sets for so much mm-hmm. of the stuff. Um, but I would have liked to have seen like how vast this, you know, palace of darkness is. Because it all oh, feels like yeah. it's kind of closed in. in the but Palace of Darkness, right. I'm I'm calling it that. I don't know if it's that's what it's called, but we Snake can go Mountain. ahead and just go with it. Um so yeah, uh 
they okay and then basically the lord of darkness is going to marry lily and uh there's only a limited amount of time before jack and his new friends can stop him and they Mm -hmm. figure out that they're going to do this with the power of daylight what's up no it's like this is when it becomes big trouble in little china it's very much Big Trouble in Little China. Though this yeah, did come up before reflecting... Big Trouble in Little China. Yeah, that's true. They're reflecting the sun into the palace, which is like the fact that they could get those angles right, you know, very quickly is pretty impressive. Because it's yeah, just like I a series of, of shiny like trash, plates. Trash can lids, basically. Yeah. <laughs> or shiny plates, either, either yeah. or. Yeah. So, um, yeah, and then... Um, that's how uh, Jack battles the Lord of Darkness. Yeah. Uh, um, so it's, it is definitely really bizarre. And uh, so just to kind of um, get, go back to the like Ridley Scott's director's cut. And I'm, I'm paraphrasing here from uh, IMDb's trivia um, that it, Apparently, the director's cut dives into the impurity of humans and their sins. It says Jack was supposed to be very lustful of Lily from the start, which doesn't really come across. No. no. Um, it says, but eventually begins to love her. Uh, it says uh, the leader of the, that Gump is a very angry person, which... Gump comes across pretty angry. Yeah. 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 Um, Lily sometimes shows greed. And then the sea hag, Meg Mucklebones, who's, by the way, played by Robert Picardo, the cowboy from Inner Space. Wait, what? Robert Picardo played oh, I Meg know who you're talking about. Mucklebones. Crazy. Yes, Meg Mucklebones, who is beheaded after Tom Cruise is like, oh, hey, you know, yeah, you're pretty hot. And then she's like, oh, really? And oh, yeah. Um, and yeah, it was funny. But apparently, like Ridley, like one of the things that influenced him to recut the movie was like a couple of stoners walking out of a screening, like apparently their commentary on it. But I'm guessing Universal had something to do with it because yeah also 1985 like they did like brazil Mm -hmm. when terry gilliam had to recut brazil to kind of be a little more mainstream though right i wouldn't call the theatrical cut mainstream whatsoever no not at all no i can't imagine it being even crazier i mean have you ever seen the director's cut of brazil no i haven't oh unless i have and i just thought that it was yeah, well, if you have maybe I've only yeah. ever seen director's cuts, and I think that I've only seen the theatrical releases. So, so that well, that's interesting. It may, I mean, I feel like some of that makes sense. Um, but, but especially like, the what, gump. What's up? Oh no! But I was like you were saying, like that. There's a lot of things that don't make sense, and. I, I'm like, I'm reading this. I'm like, yeah, I get that. But especially with Jack being lustful. No, doesn't come across that way at all. It does not come. By the way, do you know who else was up for the role of of Jack? Tell me. Um. So I want to say that I, I have this written down somewhere, but it uh, Jim Carrey. Really? Jim Carrey was up for the role um, I believe um, Robert Downey Jr. 
Okay. Was up for the role. Robney Downey Jr. Robney Downey Jr. Field was up for the role. And, um, oh man, it was so funny. Sorry, I was listening. I'm going off on tangents left and right here. But I was listening to uh, Mark Maron's interview with Woody Harrelson. And Mm -hmm. they were talking about natural born killers, which, and, and Robert Downey Jr. came up right before Rodney Dangerfield came up. And I was like, wait a second, that's another movie with Rodney Downey Jr. Field. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. That's right. Excellent. Uh, So, um, but yeah, Johnny Depp. Yeah, I I can see that. Yeah, I can see that. I mean, probably way more than Tom Cruise. Yeah. I mean, like 1985 Johnny Depp, like, Post Nightmare on Elm Street, definitely. Yeah, yeah. So I, I, I don't know. I just felt like there were a lot of things that were incomplete, and even <laughs> though I watched the director's cut, it still felt that way. I, I felt like there was more to this world that than we were like being shown, and there was a lot that we were probably expected to just be like, oh yeah, I'm sure that we would know that if we just existed in this in this world, but we don't. So that's, I think, uh, one of my big issues with it. I agree with you there, John. And to to kind of bring back uh, another movie that we've we've spoken about recently, The Princess Bride. There were right. times when I was watching Legend when I felt I wish that The Princess Bride had more of the visual quality of Legend. Yeah. But I wish that Legend had more of the storytelling quality and consistency of The Princess Bride. Not necessarily. And imagine The, the Princess Bride with the score by Tangerine Dream. <laughs> yeah. Or Jerry Goldsmith. I don't know what the or Jerry Tangerine. Goldsmith. That's what. That's Neither the one that we heard. Yeah. But the, but it's interesting that Tangerine Dream uh, did the scores for this one and Risky Business. Right, right. Not Vangelis. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so um, I don't yeah. know. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna launch into my. Go for it. So a sequel? Who cares? Like it it wasn't good enough to make anybody interested in seeing what happens next. Um, yeah. Or really want to explore the world anymore, which is why I think that it does make sense to do a remake because I feel like there are it's got it's got good bones, you know. It's got a nice structure, it's a got nice foundation. Bones. Yeah, but it just it just wasn't complete. There was just so much more that I wanted to see, and I feel like now because of the way that we can build worlds like visually in ways that couldn't really be done as much then, I think that it's a good time to actually revisit something like this. And uh, clearly they'd have to rename Gump because seat's taken. Can't do uh, Gump, can't do Gimp. No, you certainly can't. Just something completely 25th different. 25th anniversary of both, by the way. No. <laughs> and then um, as far as casting goes, like I don't care who they put in there. Um, although I would, I think for the role of, or the Jack character, I think Zendaya would be really good, really good. I don't know if you've seen her in much, but she's fantastic. Yeah. I mean, I, um, the, I haven't seen the second Spider-Man yet, but I, she, oh yeah, she's, she's good in those. The show Euphoria on HBO was like, she was fantastic in that. It's a crazy show. It's a really wild show. Um, yeah, working in a high school, I don't think that you should see that show. 
Yeah, that was uh, kind of the sense I got. <laughs> um, and I I know that this is complete nonsense, but uh, or, or a bit of a diversion from what we were just talking about. But um, Tim Curry as the Lord of Darkness reminds me so much of the portrayal of Satan in uh, Tenacious D, The Pick of Destiny, played by Dave Grohl. Oh, by Dave Grohl. <laughs> and he, yes. like, I just want that to be in Legend. He's so good. <laughs> yes. That, that's the, I mean, Tenacious D, Pick of Destiny, it, it certainly has its flaws, but that is a fun, we saw that together. Did we really? We saw, In Philly doesn't surprise me we did it was when we we were editing oh the last dance the last dance yes uh cool i mean yeah. i've seen that movie so and, many times it's hard to remember the first time but no, thank I, you I for did. reminding me no i hey that one i remember which is very surprising so um yeah i yeah i that's kind of that's what i was thinking uh along those lines like, like i would love to find uh a filmmaker and at first to address casting i really it it doesn't matter i i don't think i think casting can be like a remake of this movie excuse me really does not need to adhere to much from the original other than like you said the bones because it has yeah good good like the story is is strong the story is there and i think it just kind of needs and i mean man i'm a i'm a fan of ridley scott but yeah like ridley scott though like he's made so many movies and you know he's missed the mark um you know maybe not just as many times as he's hit the mark but yeah you know he he's He's got a pretty balanced record, and I I don't know that this one comes up as what I would consider a like a, a Ridley Scott classic. No, but for a lot of people, it is a classic. It's beloved. It is a beloved movie, uh, and and that's what makes it a kind of a cult classic. Is that you know it's not necessarily the greatest movie ever, and it's right. I mean it was panned by critics. And but you know it has an appeal to it, and it certainly has its its audience. So my question for you is, who do you who would you see? Because my I I would want to find a filmmaker. That's really I think the most important choice here. I think casting you could go with unknowns, or you you can yeah. go with fresh faces. You could go with Zendaya. You could do any of that. But it's I think the director and. Yeah, and I'd put somebody like Guillermo del Toro um, behind this one uh, because <laughs> you know his thing is is creatures. I mean, well, it practically I, is. Sorry, go ahead. Uh, well, are you going to talk about? Are you just going to say Hellboy? No, I was going to say Pan's Labyrinth. Like the dance, oh, the Labyrinth. scene where she's dancing reminded me so much of Pan's Labyrinth. Yeah, I mean, could have been an inspiration. So like. I, I don't know. I feel like somebody like Guillermo del Toro would make a lot of sense uh, in control of this. Yeah, I, I I thought about that and I was like, you know, Guillermo del Toro, Peter Jackson. And then it's kind of like, well, they've they've kind of done that. And I, I think that what would I would really like to I would 
I would really like to see it made by someone who loves has a has a um a love for the original an appreciation for the original but mm-hmm. also i want a filmmaker who has watched the original and said man i know how i could make this so much better right. i want someone and i was like man like denis villeneuve villeneuve i think if that's yeah. if i'm pronouncing his well, name right talking about blade runner well yeah th- no yeah. that's i mean i was but also the arrival or just um oh, arrival. arrival yeah arrival's awesome very like visually impressive i was so glad i saw that on a on a big screen um yeah but so he's i think him or even man, like i don't know what robert rodriguez thinks of legend but <laughs> i would be injured i'd be down for a robert rodriguez directed legend yeah i could see I that mean, definitely a guillermo del toro but i'd be well, that's interested what saying somebody like see. that yeah yeah, but I, I and think you know I, what I mean when I say that. Yes. Not what, Spanish. I mean, no. well, also me- Mexican. What if? Well, that's not what I. No, I know. I know that's not what you meant at bad. all. No. Just to clarify, uh, someone with a very also, strong visual style, especially for the kind of fantastical supernatural. Yeah. Well, well, also, I mean, why does it necessarily need to be live action? Maybe it could be like, and and I know that. I like a studios has only done five films, but it's like clearly they haven't done any remakes, but it's like, this could be a really interesting, well, actually, you know, they've done adaptations of like folk tales. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe that Kuba and the two strings kind of comes from that. Uh, but I think mm. that that would be a good opportunity to kind of build the world. And they do some really creepy stuff. Well, actually Coraline is an adaptation from a book. So it's like, there are no rules. Right. Well, yeah. and yeah, I mean, Coraline Box was... Box Trolls was an adaptation from a book. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. yeah, no, I I mean, no, actually, I really, I think that the, uh, like, the visual style, the Leica Studios, um, you know, style. Yeah. Yeah, I think that would really suit this well. Yeah. Oh, man, wish I would have thought about that before we started recording. <laughs> well, it's, it's all good, man. I mean, man, It's all happening in real time, man. Spontaneity is what was what makes this such a wonderful experience. Yeah. Yeah. And hey, who's to say you can't get Tim Curry back to reprise the role? Uh, I would I I would love that, man. Like Tim Curry is so good and I I think he just kind of kind of slipped through the cracks there. Tim Curry's really good unless you're lost in New York, in which well, case uh, Look out for that guy. Yeah, no, you're better off with Donald Trump. Woof. Anyway. Yikes. Did it get a little well, warm in here? In that yikes. one singular <laughs> circumstance. Sorry, what was that about darkness and light? Um, yeah, um, but the light. One well, large cheese pizza just for me. There we go. That's the light. <laughs> so, I. Uh, Anyway, that's that's what we got. If you have, um, oh, you know what? We got another email, but I feel like this is something that we have covered uh, through Instagram. So, oh yeah, um, my very dear friend, oh, yes, Louise, yeah. uh, who is my co-host on a number of other podcasts. Louisa to Beaver. Uh, I have a great idea, but I'll never do it. And got it. Got it. Um, she is a, um, a very enthusiastic 
person and a big fan of uh, theater. And she uh, was so excited to alert us to the Mrs. Doubtfire musical. We did post about it on Instagram like minutes before she emailed me about this. Oh, we but, posted um, it on Instagram several months ago because that was when they announced it for Fifth Avenue Theater. Oh, I then you did that one and I missed it. Oh, yeah, but, I posted. Yeah. Oh, I posted it a, a while ago. And then she also I, sent us a link for the Back to the Future musical. So I... I, I was with her recently and she was talking about how, um, you know, I know that you like to talk about um, adapting things for the stage <laughs> uh, when we're when we're on this podcast. And she was yeah. saying, like, you know, that's it's kind of she feels that it's done maybe a little too much. Oh, so, absolutely. Uh, yeah. So but the thing is, you know, it's like. Who cares? It's not like this stuff is ever going to happen anyway. <laughs> we're just talking out of our asses. And that's oh, what we it got happens going on. too much that we that we go to that. <laughs> or, or just, oh, that happens oh, too no, much just in that, general. It, no, the movies being adapted into musicals just happens too much. Well, and it's just it's not the right ones. Yeah, um, but this is kind of a good opportunity to talk about our next episode. Yes. So Dan. Yes. So a movie adapted from the 1989 play by Aaron Sorkin. 1992's Rob Reiner Academy Award nominated A Few Good Men. We're doing it. Which, um, as you as as you may know, I will have a lot to say about as I'm currently directing that play at the high school where I teach. Yes, I th- and I feel like maybe I'm a little bit more protective of uh, that direct information than maybe than you are. But it's a quick Google search to try to find it if you really want to. (laughs) Let's just put it this way. There's not that many high schools in the Seattle area that are producing a few good men. There you go. So Uh, I will let you know I've already not only put it on hold on Blu-ray at my library, but it is ready for pickup. Because I did it in anticipation of us possibly doing this. Well, that's exciting. um, Oh, wonderful. And And I... (laughs) Maybe only saw it once on VHS, like, I don't know, a pretty damn long time ago. We're not going to go into it because... That's next time. We'll take, a, we'll take a stroll down. I can take a very clear stroll down memory lane. <laughs> I'm, I'm excited. I know, that the, I know that the next episode is going to be very Dan heavy, and I'm ready to just go on that ride. Well, you know what, John? I, I feel like because I've been so focused on not necessarily the movie... But just the story and everything. And of course, like, you know, you you do have the movie in the back of your head, um, mostly trying to avoid copying it. But it's um, I'm I'm interested to hear your questions after watching it, because you're going to have a chance to to rewatch it. I am probably not going to be rewatching it. I wouldn't expect you to. Uh, And I got to say, I'm excited to watch something that is vastly known to be a good movie coming off of watching Legend. Well, it's grounded in reality. Yes. Very Mm -hmm. much so. Well, on that note, thank you very much and you have a good journey. And a good journey to you. (laughs) 